When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 340. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has a couple great gifts they're giving away to all the people of the Moving Iron Podcast. Go to marketing, send an email to marketing at axontire.com, and you will get a flashlight and a ball cap from our friends over at Alliance for free, Alan. You don't have to pay for it. It's the most amazing thing on the planet. Get one of those, so. If you're interested in that, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and uh, they will send that over to you. Also, go to Moving Iron LLC and sign up for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, and Axon Tire will give you $50 off of your registration fee. So, pretty good deal there, too. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optimal pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks, the dealer connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Also, Iron Solutions, powered by Randall Riley, is a big part of this podcast as well. So, 
I have Alan Hoskins back here with me, and Alan is with American Farm Mortgage, and you are the president of the National Sales Director. Yeah. I always want to throw a CEO in there, Alan, trying to give you more credit than than, <laughs> than the people over there want to, at the bank want to give you. So it's been uh, so we had to really think long and hard that what we we're going to talk about when it came to ag lending before you came on, Alan. I wasn't for sure what we were going to talk about, but then all of a sudden had this kind of a from a from a, a news perspective, kind of had a a uh, nice little layup there with the uh, the SVB bank implosion and. And I forget the other bank down in, was it Texas? Is that where that was at? New York. New York. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Texas. Not bad. But they had, you had two bank failures and that came up. And I mean, the, the one that everyone's most focused on right now is, is SVB and uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And I, I, you know, I think if you look at a lot of things, what they were doing, they were, they weren't your traditional bank. Fair, fair, fair statement there, Alan. I, I, from what I believe, I understand. I think that's a fair statement. Yes, and their focus primarily was, um, and me being Silicon Valley, you know, there's tons of venture capital money in there, and they were, um, they were kind of catering to that startup. To that, thing. I mean, a lot of people that they had profit levels weren't overly high, but they were using stock as collateral and these kind of things. And I guess I'd love to get your opinion on this. So. About three days before the total implosion of SVB Bank, you had one, and I don't remember the guy's name, but you had a guy come out and put a tweet out, or um, and he was a big venture capitalist guy that's got a lot of a lot of capital and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of clout out there in the venture capital world, and he said, uh, "Hey, I'm pulling all my money out of this SVB Bank," and three days later, SVB Bank comes in and collapses. Mm-hmm. Had a complete bankrupt, something like $42 billion worth of cash got pulled out of the bank. Um, just just a typical, you know, 1930s style bank run that you saw, you know, that, that living, living lore there for mm-hmm. forever. But I, I guess as you're, as you're looking at something like that, Alan, from your perspective as a banker, you know, if, if you had social media is such a dangerous thing as well as it is i mean there's some good that comes out of social media and i'm going to stress the word some you know and then there's there's uh there's uh but things like this that come from that where one sentence can mm-hmm. can do some real damage mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about that alan well first of all casey social media in and of itself is neither negative nor positive it's a tool it all goes back to us, I think, as human beings, and what is the goal of the commentary that we provide specifically as it relates to social media? You know, I I believe, and Casey, I don't remember who the source was several years ago, but I remember reading the story about uh, if you're angry or upset at something, you need to absolutely write it out and probably wait a day and then maybe delete it and then perhaps rewrite it. I didn't see the specific tweet that you're talking about, but but I'll say this. I, I do think anytime that we do anything on social media, I think we need to be cognizant of the weight that our words carry, both positive and negative. And, you know, ultimately, 
you know, I certainly haven't spoken to anyone that was a customer of Silicon Valley Bank, so I don't know what effect that tweet may or may not have had on the actions that any depositors there took. But I think it is an excellent reminder for all of us that we need to measure our words and make sure that as much as possible, we're adding to something positively as opposed to something negatively. And, you know, Casey, I've always been in the mindset that if I had positive things to say, I wanted to say those as much publicly as possible. But if I had challenges or concerns, I needed to go to the individual perhaps with whom I had the challenge or concern and have that conversation privately. Yeah, that's, that's always the best way to do it. But Alan, I think you're, unfortunately, you're a little bit old school because it doesn't seem like that happens very much anymore. <laughs> uh, gu guilty as charged. Yes, sir. I am old school. And, you know, I fully realize Casey and, I, and I've been guilty of it too. I'm certainly not perfect. I've said things in the past that, Afterwards, I thought, well, that wasn't a very intelligent thing to say. And more importantly, the timing of saying it was not very good. And it is the world that we live in that it, it does seem that there are a lot of voices that want to see who can scream the loudest to attract the most attention. And again, you know, I don't know specifically what effect that tweet may have had, but I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing to go on any social media platform and whether it's a bank or any other business say, you know, I'm going to withdraw all the business that I do with that institution. Yeah, I would. Well, that's the same thing too. Like, you know, you get the Google review thing and I'm the first thing I do when I go check something out, I want to go eat someplace. The first mm -hmm. thing I do is I go look at the reviews mm -hmm. and Nine times out of 10, when you read the negative reviews, it's the most petty thing on the planet that I've ever read in my life. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's, it's Sometimes I read the negative reviews just to get a chuckle because someone was mad about I had to wait 15 minutes to get my water refilled. And they gave mm -hmm. me the I'm like, come on, man. You, mm -hmm. I know, you, I know you're, you're not the only person in, in the room here, bud. So, but yeah, it's, it's things like that that do make a, make a world difference. So I guess, Alan, so when you're looking at, so obviously, my grandpa in the 1980s was worked for the FDIC and he spent a lot of time out in Western Kansas getting uh, banks that were in really big, really bad trouble um, back mm -hmm. to healthy again, or, you know, closing those banks down and, and, or consolidating banks or those kind of things to, to keep the wheels on the bus turning. The first thing that everybody's worried about now is, I mean, here we are in, you know, loan renewal, uh, operating note renewal season. And, you know, we're already dealing with these high interest rates anyway. Mm -hmm. Something like this comes along and it just puts a, it's a boa constrictor around mm -hmm. everything. Just kind of squeezing things tighter and tighter and tighter. As you take a look um, around um, at, at the rural banks and in the rural uh, economy right now, Alan, what are your thoughts and, and how do you think this has affected people? Um, lenders, I guess, um, mm -hmm point of view and, and maybe maybe change some of their opinions at all sure. well first and foremost and again I don't, I don't have any intimate knowledge of either of the institutions that were shuttered last week i will say this i don't believe i've read of either of them being a large lender or an active lender at all in the ag space so as it relates to how they may or may not have functioned. It doesn't seem that that has a whole lot of bearing on the agricultural world. 
for the most part, Casey, from at least the things that I read that are public information, the agricultural banking industry in rural America appears to be pretty strong. And I think if you look at where most farmers have been profitability-wise, and from a balance sheet perspective over the past few years, those balance sheets and the farm net income would seem to support that there is stability in the agricultural banking sector in rural America. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. The agricultural banking sector goes from larger institutions to the very smallest of community banks. So agriculture has has been served and is being served by institutions of multiple size. I think from just a lender's perspective, and you spoke of it earlier in referencing your grandfather in the 1980s, those of us that remember agricultural banking in the 1980s, unfortunately, a bank foreclosure is not anything of earth-shattering news. Right. We saw a lot of that during that period of time. And Casey, I'm not telling you I'm right in what I'm about to say, but I, I do think that there were a lot of different factors that contributed to what we saw in the 1980s. And I think that there were some lessons learned from that that have helped probably prevent some bank failures down the road. So I think, unfortunately, what we went through in the 80s certainly wasn't pleasant by any stretch of the imagination, but it does seem that there were some good lessons learned from that that thus far have not been repeated. I've not talked to many lenders that honestly in the segment that I'm involved in that are changing the way they do business because of what the recent occurrences are. Yeah. The, the agricultural perspective, I think tends to be one of a fair amount of detail that I think there's some good ag banks and good ag lenders out there that understand the industry. And I think Casey, that tends to help ensure stability. Uh, one of the things that we have seen occur since the 1980s, we've seen the number of banks in this country by charter lessen significantly. But even with that reduced number of institutions versus, versus what we saw in the 80s, I, I do think that there's still a lot of stability in the uh, in the agricultural banking sector. Yeah. And I think you're, thank you, right. I mean, it's been a, we had we had a pretty tough run here, you know, from 2014 through 2020. But the last three years have been very, very, very solid years. I mean, as far as income goes and those kind of things. So, I mean, unless outside of just somebody mm-hmm. investing, trying to bring back the Twinkie or something like that, we have, uh, we've got, we've got a pretty solid program mm-hmm. out there right now. So. And Casey, you referenced the increased interest rates and the effect and challenges it has and creates for producers. Candidly, the same thing holds with banking institutions, because by their very purpose, banks, for the most part, Casey, banks buy and sell money. 
we buy money in the form of attracting deposits. We sell money in the form of create, creating loans. And just as we ask producers to be mindful of their margins, I think there's a lot of good bankers that I know that they work to manage their margins and they work diligently. The banking industry is very regulated. And there are a lot of discussions with regulators about what, what do your positions look like? How are you positioned for rising interest rates? How are you positioned for falling interest rates? So the regulators candidly ask bankers a lot of the same questions in a certain respect that we ask producers. And how are you prepared in a rising interest rate environment versus a falling interest rate environment? There we go. Somebody got put on mute there. It's not, maybe that's a sign, Alan. No one wants to hear me talk. But they have, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts here, a lot of things to pay attention to. And mm-hmm. banks are always getting stress tests all the time. Absolutely. We hear about that all the time. And of course, this kind of stuff just makes those stress tests even more under a microscope and, and what that looks like. So, anyway. So let's let's bounce off here and talk about kind of what you see happening in the marketplace, Alan. So as you're looking at going through February, going through March, going into plant season, um, what what were some of the big surprises that you saw come out of this renewal season? I mean, is it is it? I mean, are we looking at where you see um, speculatively where you see um, input costs and how they've adjusted down for what they were this time last year, or? You know, what, what were some of the big surprises that you saw come out of this this renewal season? Well, I think for me personally, Casey, one of the biggest surprises that I've seen was the reduction in fertilizer prices, for example. Uh, that was not something that I was particularly anticipating. And so that's been a very positive <clears throat> surprise. Candidly, there haven't been a tremendous number of surprises that I've seen that have come out of this. And I think that's because I think we've been to a certain degree a little bit hyper diligent with the movement and interest rates that we've seen in trying to anticipate what cash flows were going to look like. I think producers, for the most part, Casey, have done a tremendous job. And by the way, I'm not surprised at that either, by the way. I think they've done a tremendous job in being prepared for what they were facing. I think they also were pleasantly surprised by some of the movements that we've seen in fertilizer prices. So this has somewhat been a renewal year where there weren't a lot of unanticipated items that have occurred. And I can tell you that's probably not the norm. Yeah. So when you're looking at, um, so let's let's talk about interest rates for just a minute. So last week, Chairman Powell got up on Capitol Hill and said, "Hey, you know, we're still going to fight this thing. We still got to keep rolling. Twenty five percent, twenty five percent. Hope it's not twenty five percent. Quarter percent, <laughs> a quarter percent. Uh, another hike in, in interest rates, and then we're going to kind of wait and see. Is kind of what he said. What he said. Mm-hmm. Well, the CPI report came out. And it was uh, six. Six uh, percent down from six point four percent. I mean, really, this could be one of those wait and see kind of moments in time. But since they kind of said they already were going to do that, I'm sure that's going to they're going to fall through with that. What that looks like. Um, this is the what fourth or fifth month in a row where you've seen a, a pretty steady decline. Last last month, you saw the 
the inner month CPI stuff jump way up because of some housing things and those kind of things. But that pretty well took care of itself and kind of remedied itself. I guess, Alan, looking at what the Fed's policies are now and what they're doing, mm-hmm. what's your thoughts there? And, and how do you think a, a wait and see approach is going to, I guess, how, how, you, how are you looking forward to handle that on the wait and see side of it when you're, when you're working with your customers where if well, this won't be, Maybe next month might not be a jump in high, jump in rates. Mm-hmm. Casey, the one thing that I've kind of learned over the years is, despite what rhetoric may indicate, we deal with what we have today, sure. and we work to position to minimize any increases to borrowers. Uh, candidly, I wouldn't want Chairman Powell's job right now. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. <laughs> Particularly with some of the challenges that have come up over the weekend. What effect that may have on future interest rate increases. I have heard a lot of people way more intelligent than I bantering that back and forth. And what I'm doing, Casey, is is I'm meeting with customers is we're simply looking at today. We're looking at where rates are both variable and fixed today. We can run numbers for customers and then do the best we can to give them the information they need to allow them to make the most educated decisions. Yep. You know, I do get a lot of questions, Candidly, where do you think rates are going to be? And Casey, I'm equally adept at answering that question as I am where commodity prices are going, where equipment prices are going. Kind of and simple, I, if you knew that we wouldn't be talking right now. So yes. And, and you know some of the some of the biggest issues that I've ever created for myself personally have been where I believed I had knowledge of where something was going in the future. I yeah. found if I worry about managing risk as as it exists today and not worry as much about the future, it tends to result in a lot better outcome. Yeah. You're probably right on that one, Alan. I've, if I had a dollar for every time I thought I knew what the way things were going to end up, um, I'd be equally as rich as if, if I uh, would have hit on my idea. So, yeah, there's <laughs> there's some truth to that. Um, so let's talk about equipment a little bit as you're looking at some um I, I think challenging is probably the right word when you're looking at at um, financing the equipment that we see now, mm-hmm. considering interest rates and considering uh, what machinery costs are looking like right now. Mm-hmm. Alan, as you're looking at machinery right now, what are some of your thoughts there, and and what are some of the uh, some of the advice that you're giving to your to your customers right now? Well, obviously, I believe recently we're you were getting into planning season. And I think if you look at some of the sales data that exists on used planners, it's strongly supportive that there's still a very limited amount of market. Yeah, hardly any. Yeah, exactly. So one of the discussions that I'm having with folks is about their capital plans, be it one year, three year, five year, because having to make an emergency purchase right now, particularly with where interest rates are, it just doesn't, Casey, make a lot of sense to me if it can be avoided. But let's have a plan. And also, one of the things that 
obviously that I counsel to look at. There's leasing options. There's purchase options. How does it best position you from a tax perspective? You know, there are advantages to both of those, but the advantages apply differently to each individual operation. I think that's a great conversation for producers to have with both their bankers and their accountants is as they look at items in the future, which type of financing vehicle works better for them, which gives them the best long-term outcome based upon what we know of the machinery market today. Yeah. I'm not of the mindset, Casey. I'm I'm not necessarily telling folks, oh, delay your purchase because equipment is going to fall off the cliff. I don't necessarily believe it's going to. No, it's it's not, unfortunately. No. So that bodes well for the financial statements. Sure. Because Absolutely. Certainly going to help those continue to be strong, but it does create challenges as they look at acquisitions going forward. Yep. So I think from the interest rate perspective, a purchase that someone needs to make versus a purchase someone wants to make, it's a lot better to take a little time right now and make sure that we know which side of the equation that's on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certainly not an advocate for guys just standing still. I don't believe that delaying all purchases is necessarily the right thing. Certainly it varies by operation because there still is going to be a need to upgrade equipment. And I think it's good to just be mindful of what's available in the marketplace and where trends are going so that when it's time to have a discussion about that, we know whether it's a need or we know whether it's a want and we can make sure of how it really fits in the operations overall cash flow. One thing, Casey, that I am, I've had this discussion with a couple of customers, looking at the technological side, looking at as purchases or upgrades are made, it's not, and I've said this before on your podcast, it's not just about the cost, it's about the profit potential of those upgrades. Sure. That's something that, I like spending some time with people on is let's let's look at what the overall effect is on your operation. Because I, I have one customer in particular, they made some planter upgrades that I can point to their yield history and we can tell to the year when those upgrades were made to that planter because they've seen a consistent historic yield bump since they did that. Yeah. I, I will say this. Um, with with great certainty that and 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 bet us a, a significant amount of money on this that the next five years the way farming is going to change agricultural production is going to change is going to be you will be almost unrecognizable i think in some some extent how how what it is today to what it will be and i think the, the easiest thing to point to is going to be the equipment uh side of this and mm-hmm. It's it's like the perfect thing happened in the equipment business at the at the perfect time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, we came out of a, a a time where inventory levels were really high, and had those inventory levels stayed the way they were, and, mm-hmm. and we would have moved into a high production uh, new cycle. It would have just been a whole nother thing again. We would have had three or four years of of a good run, and then we would have seen 
massive amounts of uh, used equipment out there in the marketplace, and there's just been a whole other thing. And mm-hmm. where we're at now, as I look at this, um, with the exception of a handful of you know, like combines and, and forge harvesters and those kind of things that are just typically hard hard to sell used anyhow, um, and that that struggle that we see with with used harvesting equipment especially mm-hmm. um we're not gonna ever i just don't see where we're gonna have the pile up in in uh, used equipment again i don't i just don't see where mm-hmm. um if we do have it it's it's a long long ways down the road and there's something catastrophic will have to happen where you know we don't have we don't produce a crop for two years type of thing i mean it's just it's going to be something something so big because when you look at and you and I have talked about this offline as well as online here, but I mean, it's 21 through 23, there just weren't that many machines built. And what mm-hmm. was built um, has been gobbled up pretty quick. And mm-hmm. um, it's left a big hole in the uh, overall marketplace as to where that those used machines fall into that, that cycle of, of that life cycle of equipment. And mm-hmm. there's a big gap right there where you have really, really new stuff and you mm-hmm. have some really, really old stuff, but you don't have much in the middle. And I think that's where, that's going to be the saving grace for the equipment marketplace. And to your point, balance sheets for farmers for a long time, we start looking at how their equipment um, holds its value mm-hmm. and, and maintains that. I mean, moving forward. So there's going to be a lot of um, what's risk factors. I think that's going to, that are going to kind of go away a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. all that being said, the big kind of elephant in the room here that, that nobody knows how to, how to get out of the room yet is, these upgrade kits and, and what did those look like now? So we have this, this big rush into the upgrade kit thing, which I think is amazing. I think it's a great idea mm-hmm. when the next gen technology starts showing up and, and you start looking at, okay, I want to go ahead and upgrade this next level of whatever. Mm-hmm. What do you do with the stuff that's there? And we've mm-hmm. been fighting that, that battle a little bit on the precision side for mm-hmm. as long as I've been in this business, it seems like, um, and now it finally came to head and we're watching some of the stuff sell on auctions and it's 25 cents, 30 cents on the dollar. So what's that mean? What's that look like? And how does those things come together from the mm-hmm. other side? You start looking at sprayer upgrades and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to watch it play out because it's, it's going to be, there's no formula for this yet. We don't know, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to make the cake and, and what oven we're going to put it in uh, to make it, to make it all work. And it's been a, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this because it's going to be mm-hmm. one of those time frames where you tell your kids about it or the next generation coming in the bit. I remember back in 23 when it was just, you know, you had to do these things and, you know, it's this, you get to be the, you have your old man story now. So I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited about that. And, you know, Casey, I think in alignment with what you just said, mm-hmm. relative to specifically the old man stories, it seems like the old man stories are starting to occur a little more quickly than they used to just simply due to the pace yeah. of change. That's you know, I, yeah. I, I think there's some 35 year olds today that are able to tell old men stories. <laughs> I think you're right. Because yeah. of what we've seen. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, I think the pace of that change is going to quicken rather than slow. Yeah. So I think it is really a fun time to be in, be in agriculture as a whole and the pace of change is somewhat frustrating at times without a doubt 
but it's a great opportunity to continue to grow and learn. And I think the producers with good business acumen out there are really going to take advantage of some of these things that are coming. Available. Oh, sure. This is, this is the one of those time frames where, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that pop up that don't seem like opportunities right now. But if you, if you really dig into them and start looking at them, you're going to see the, the opportunity. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was John May, CEO of John Deere said mm-hmm. something to the fact, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, the, the pace of change has never been more slow than it is today. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's referencing the future and what does that look like and, and those kind of things. And some of this technology that's coming down mm-hmm. is, going to greatly um great it's just going to change the way people do business and i've said this before that i think technology is going to pick winners and losers a hell of a lot faster than any commodity price is going to because you're now you really do know how have how technology is playing out Mm -hmm. everybody's not on the same playing field anymore Mm -hmm. if you can afford to get to the latest and greatest your efficiencies are gonna are gonna stand out, and your yield return is gonna stand out, and those cost savings and fertilizer and chemicals mm-hmm. and all the other stuff that come into play, mm-hmm. they're gonna start showing up. And if you're not using that, it's gonna be hard to compete. And I'm I hate to be that guy that's sitting here saying that, but I mean, as you look at some of the stuff, mm-hmm. you can go back thirty years and, and hear the conversations about, you know, auto track and you know, RTK and everything else. And, you know, that's, oh, that's just a toy. You don't need that. Well, mm-hmm. I know guys that'll blow up an engine before, uh, uh, before they'll stop and they'll stop as soon as the, uh, they lose the AB line on the, mm-hmm. on the, on the, on the guidance system. So, I mean, I think it, it, it's going to be, and, and guys like you on the lending side, it's going to be, uh, mm-hmm. you've got to understand what's going on. And, and fortunately, Alan, your, your, your customer base has got a, has got a good guy that understands what's going on and understands the business, but, it feels like the learning curve. Mm-hmm. I, it's almost like I need to start going out to some of these local banks. And like, hey, let me let me talk to you about what this looks like and how this works. This isn't a sales pitch for trying to get, you know, Farmer John over there to buy the new planter from me. But this is this is what he's going to gain mm-hmm. by using this technology. And here's what the return is going to look like and those kind of things. Because I can tell you right now, there's every every guy that I work with has already worked through what the return on on assets look like on his investment looks like. <laughs> and because there's more business acumen out there now um, on, on the farm than there's been in, in past generations. And I think this is going to be, it's not an emotionally driven decision anymore. It's a business driven decision. And I think that's, that's the big difference right now between what we see happening uh, on, on the overall marketplace. And Casey, I could not agree with what you just said more one of the challenges and kind of going full circle going back to kind of where we started a little bit the conversation as it relates to banking one of the observations that i will make is that if i look at the bankers that i know today that are involved in agricultural lending i know fewer ag bankers today that are active farmers than probably any time in my career Now, that shouldn't be surprising because when I started my banking career, it was pretty common for an ag lender to also be a farmer. But as farms have consolidated and as banks have consolidated, 
candidly, there's just fewer people that are growing up on farms that are coming into the marketplace. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some incredibly bright young people coming into ag banking because there are. And it doesn't mean that those folks can't add value because I truly believe they can if they take the time to learn and understand their customer challenges and really dig into it. But I think the number of ag bankers that have firsthand knowledge of farming is shrinking. And Casey, the other thing that has changed in banking versus when I started, when I started, for the most part, lenders would develop their own business, underwrite their own loans, in many cases, prepare their own loan documents, close the loans. And traditionally speaking today, that's not the case. The banking industry is a little more segmented within the bank where you have units of the institution that are involved in perhaps underwriting versus a separate unit that's involved in the sales side of it. And so that's a little different than what historically has been. But your commentary about teaching bankers, you know, most bankers I know are willing to learn. They, they tend to want to really do what they can to help their customers, and they understand increasing their knowledge is the single best way that they can possibly do that. And the best way that any of us can increase our knowledge is learn how to listen better and make sure that we're taking time to listen to people like you and experts that we can learn from so that we can actually provide value that is meaningful to the customer because just because I think I provide value as a banker doesn't mean that I provide value. The customer gets to decide whether I provide value. So I think it's important that we take the time to learn. So I love your idea. Candidly, I, I think a class for bankers on uh, on some of the technologies that are available and how the customer and ultimately the bank can profit by those particular upgrades i think would be a fantastic idea yeah i think there's a i think there's an opportunity there to get everybody on the same page at least to understand what's going out there so wow man i'll tell you what i think that's a good place to stop if uh folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over in american farm mortgage what's the best way to do that sure they can uh, reach out by phone uh, the phone number is 800-876-2362 or they can reach out to me via email at a hoskins h-o-s-k-i-n-s at americanfarmmortgage.com and casey always uh, love to hear from people love to hear comments and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with you today and really enjoy being a part of this you do a great job and provide a great service to the ag community well, i appreciate that alan it's it's uh having smart guys like you on here make me look pretty pretty uh pretty smart and that's that's really saying something now i got no idea so i appreciate you being on man and we'll uh we'll catch you next month well and casey one one thing before we do go i would encourage anyone that hasn't been to the moving iron summit before take the time to register folks you're going to learn a lot you're going to meet a lot of great people and it's going to be an experience that you will definitely bring something home from i appreciate that too alan thank you man All right, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this over on the LinkedIn or over on the YouTube channel, which is cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So 
check that out there. If you want to go see uh, everything Moving Iron related, go to movingironllc.com and you can sign up for the Moving Iron Summit up there on that site there at the upper right-hand corner. Click on the Moving Iron Summit tab and fill that out and, and you'll get that $50 discount if you're one of the first 150 people to sign up for Maxon. If you want to uh, see more information about the entire library of that stuff there, it's all that there. And I've got about four or five blogs that I've posted are up there now too. So check that out over there on the website. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Alan Hoskins and Smooth Smart folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.